back to the John Curley Sherry Elliker Show. I'm Spike O'Neill sitting in for John Curley. And I can't call this diving into the news. Uh, our next story, really, I don't know if it's newsworthy, but it's everywhere today, Sherry. It is. Did you get a chance to watch Chris Rock's comedy special on Netflix on Saturday night? I didn't know it was happening, so no, I did not. I, I I'm got, a Chris Rock fan, so I, I I would have liked to have seen it, but I I didn't I didn't see it. No. Outside of his work in the um, Adam Sandler movies, which I think are all a little bit of self-aggrandizing, uh, well, they're not bad. But I also am a Chris Rock fan. I really am. And his this special selective outrage, it's called. It was live streamed on Netflix on Saturday night, and I had no idea it was coming on either. Uh, until my social media feed Saturday evening, and that's the kind of wild and crazy animal I am. I'm scrolling my social media feed on a Saturday night at home. Um, I'm seeing everybody just going crazy about this Chris Rock special, and, and it didn't in, it didn't make me want to turn in or turn into a tune into it. I didn't turn it on like halfway through. I figured if if Netflix is running a Chris Rock special live, it'll be there forever to go and watch it on Netflix if I so choose to do. But uh, apparently he held nothing back, uh, no pun intended, with his comments about the the slap heard around the world. We're, of course, talking about last year's Oscars, where Chris Rock, your host, made fun and poked jokes at uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith, um, who at first apparently laughed at the jokes uh, that Chris Rock was making about his wife. Got some side eye from his wife and walked and had some words and then walked on stage and assaulted Chris Rock. And and they really haven't Chris Rock really hasn't addressed it since then until Saturday night. Yeah, I think we have um, some of his uh, routine. Uh, if you if you want to play that to to see um, the sorts of things that he was most angry about. Yeah, there's like four different cuts here, but I'll just get started here with the with the first time he addresses in the special. Y'all know what happened to me getting smacked by Suge Smith. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Yes, it happened. I got smacked like a year ago last week. I got smacked in the. Oscars by this and people like did it hurt it still hurts I got summertime ringing in my ears drums please but I'm not a victim baby you will never see me on Oprah or Gail crying you will never see it never gonna happen I couldn't believe it, and I love men in black. No. It's never gonna happen. No. Took that hit like Pacquiao. So do you want to play the clip about why he... Because here's where he got into trouble with... uh, And a lot of people are bent out of shape about Chris Rock's performance saturday night a lot of people from the left the liberal um community is taking him to task and this is what i don't understand spike i i that's the that's kind of the headline and i know uh cnn today they were talking about how you know chris rock had his comedy special but did it miss the mark uh there's a whole thing on npr about how you know chris rock is really this privileged rich guy um and how he's out of touch 
I'm not sure why the left or why liberals are so outraged at what he said. Well, let's let's play. And I'm only speculating okay. as a snowflake foot soldier of freedom, a liberal left libtard like I, everybody knows I am. I got the card in my wallet. Um, I'm not mad at him, but I think this cut might be why folks are so outraged. Will Smith practices selective outrage. Practices selective outrage. Because everybody knows what the happened. Everybody that really knows, knows I had nothing to do with that. I didn't have any entanglements. don't know what everybody knows. Will and his wife was her son's friend. Okay? Now, I normally would not talk about this. But for some reason, these put that on the internet. I have no idea why two talented people would do something that low down. What the that we all been cheated on. Everybody in here been cheated on. None of us have ever been interviewed by the person that cheated on us on television. None of us. Yeah. Uh, You know, I got to tell you, Chris Rock is a guy who tells what he feels and brings the truth. I I mean, nothing he's saying is, you know, um, funny (laughs) or or, no, nothing he's saying is is a lie or or inappropriate. That's what I'm wondering about. It's why why did they get upset about it? Because he everything he's saying happened. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith admitted to this affair that she had with this very young rapper. Uh, Will Smith obviously forgave her. They had been separated. They got back together. Um, I mean, I I don't know what he said. I mean, he had other jokes in the routine, evidently, um, you know, about Meghan Markle and about, you know, a few other things. But the focus seems to be just on what he had to say about about, about Will, Will Smith. Smith. Yeah. So, I mean, um, on NPR, you know, he, he – this guy – I'm trying to think of his name. But anyway, um, he says, parts of the special seemed calibrated to tweak stereotypically liberal sensibilities with Rock's – with Rock insisting anyone that says words hurt has never been punched in the face – and jokes about how a woke trap works. If somebody wants your job, they just wait for you to say some dumb blank. Okay, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Seriously. he's right. Words, you know, okay, punches hurt. Punches hurt worse than words. Well, sometimes words yeah. hurt too, man. So. And that's true. That if you if you want to lose your job, say something really stupid and you probably will. I don't know why this has upset people so much. I mean, he stayed very quiet. I think it was very strategic on his part what he did. He decided he wasn't going to talk about it. He never granted an interview. He waited until it would benefit him to, um, you know, use this experience yeah. in his act. Um, and they did it in a unique way with the live stream thing. But I, I don't think anything he said about Will Smith or Jada Pinkett Smith was any more offensive than anything he's ever said. That's what he does. There, and, and you're right. There was much of the content from his performance. As I'm reading through this NPR story as well, uh, that could be offensive to a lot of people. But it's a comedian. The fact that a liberal side of this country is offended by what a comedian says just goes to show you 
how fragile we all are sometimes that we don't, you know, we, how dare you offend me? Well, women, if you offend me, it's not something you did. It's my, I'm offended. I'm the guy who's got the issue here. You know, I saw Ricky Gervais one time give a quote. He said, you know, someone said, your jokes are offensive. He said, no, they're not. They offended you. That doesn't mean my jokes are offensive. That means you got offended. And you've got every right to be offended. If you tell me your leg hurts, I believe you. I don't hold it against you. If you tell me that you're offended, I believe you. I don't hold it against you. I don't take ownership of that. You're the one that decided to get offended by what I said. He said, you know, if, if facts are offensive, don't change the facts. Change the feelings. And I think that applies to a, a large portion of this country where we just look for times to be outraged. We look for times to be offended. And it's somebody else's fault that we can't take a joke. And that's a dangerous place to be. I mean, comedy is comedy. You know, for you, you folks that oh, on the left that got offended by Chris Rock, thank God you weren't alive in the days of Richard Pryor or George Carlin or Lenny Bruce, God forbid. Comedy is pushing the boundaries. Comedy is taking the grain of truth and spinning it in a way that you hadn't thought of before and making you realize, oh, yeah. He's got a point, and that's pretty damn funny. But to, to aff- if, if, if your comedy offends somebody, it's not your comedy. Go find something smoother, something, something a little less, uh, little less salty for you. There are lots of great, you know, easy breezy vanilla pudding comedians out there. Go enjoy some of them. Take your wife. Go have a ball. Two drink minimum. I, I just, I, I think my curiosity is is more around um, what it is that he said that they that they felt insulted their their sensibilities because is our people do people find will smith so heroic or so uh special that he can't take the heat that are they defending him or defending jada pinkett smith or defending uh their marriage or i mean what he said about them was insulting but it's all true it is it's all true yeah there are some things in this in this special that are quoted in the NPR story that I won't read the joke here. It's just it's it's you know it's a live adult content Netflix special. Even reading these jokes would be inappropriate. Maybe that's what's got liberal America offended. You know, and again, whether it's about what he did upset about Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. With, whether it's a question, the jokes he said about abortion, which which I won't read here, but it's a joke. It's his. It's him poking irony at the truth of a situation. He, for example, he's talking about Beyonce. Beyonce is so fine she could work at Burger King, and Jay Z would still marry her. Now, if Jay Z worked at Burger King, and that's I think that's funny. Yeah. I think it's got a lot of truth to it. Speaks to a little bit of uh, misogyny, a little bit of the double standard of life, you know. Yeah, but I mean, he's a comedian. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I, I, and, exactly. And, and, and Will Smith has been, uh, you know, pushing uh, these boundaries forever. I mean, that's how he made his mark. Is he would say things, and this is a very cliche thing to say, but he would say things that that other people were afraid to say, and so I think that's what made him. Um, Chris Rock, you, know, you mean? Yeah, 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 I say yeah. Will Smith. Yeah, that's okay. That's <laughs> okay. No, I know. I, I, when you get slapped in the head, it's hard to keep your mind clear. I, I totally understand. <laughs> no, he always has, and he, he's always been that guy. But he's, you know, it's again, it's comedy. If it offends you, I mean, okay. So the left's offended. Liberal, some some liberal. Me, I'm a left. I'm not offended by it because I understand that comedy is not, not every comedy is for everybody. 
You know, it's not like Chris Rock should tailor his act to not offend anybody. He wouldn't have much of a gig if he tailored his act not to offend anybody. Well, it, and also he waited this long to talk about it. He waited a year. Well, he waited on the eve of the Oscars, so Oscars was out there in everybody's vernacular again. Right, and yeah. he did that, and so what did you expect him to do? He certainly wasn't going to... Uh, Ignore take, it. yeah. Yeah, or, or not take a hard line. I mean, yeah. this is... And let me tell you something. Chris Rock is not upset at all Hell that anybody's no. upset with him. No. He, this is the fact that we're talking about him. We're I getting mean, played. And that he was on, you know, pretty much every news website today. This is exactly what he wants because he will still have fans. He will still have people that believe in him. And it really doesn't matter one way or the other to him if, if people are upset with him. Well, um, I, don't, I, I don't know whether to give credit to Chris Rock for having such brilliant business acumen or his team of public relations and marketing who made sure he got this special on Netflix, live streamed, where they couldn't cover anything he said, had carte blanche to say whatever he wanted to. He spent a year getting the material together. He named the material after this particular bit, Selective mm-hmm. Outrage. I mean, this was this was loaded into the shoot like a bull at the rodeo. He knew what he was going to do, when he was going to do it, a week before the Oscars. I mean, good on you, Chris Rock. You know, you, you kind of got uh, embarrassed on national, international television by Will Smith. You didn't step up. And when it was your time to step up, you stepped up and took one deep. Yeah, he. this guy on NPR says, uh, but some of it felt like this the kind of comedy you might expect from a guy who has been rich and famous for so long, his view of the world is clouded by the bubble of privilege he lives in. Uh, something to that, too. There's, there's some truth in that. Chris Rock, I, I, you know, I don't know where he came up from, but I know he came up early. He had success very, very early. He was on Saturday Night Live, what, 18? Yeah. And off to the movies and off to the riches after that? Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's not like he has a real everyman American you know, pulse. He's got his hands on the pulse of everyday America. He doesn't. But what, what, what does that matter? Why should he? What, do we need Chris Rock to understand the streets? I don't need that from him. Maybe the guy from NPR just needs something to be angry about. Well, he says in the end, and and for this comedy fan who still remembers when Rock's groundbreaking stand-up specials for HBO redefined his career and the world of comedy in the same moment, Saturday Night's special was sad proof of the distance between a brash young comic trying to make his mark and a seasoned pro who knows how to work the room even when he might not have much to say. Hmm. I, I kind of have a hard time arguing with that assessment, too. Both of you guys got your chops in. Good job. Right? I think he had a lot to say. I think he had plenty to say. I I, I don't think that's the problem. I I, I still am baffled by what what they're, what people are upset about because I think, you know, he, where you're going to see now the Will Smith curated reaction of course that will come out now and jada pinkett smith will have something and there'll be some tearful something about how victimized they were and how horrible it was what an uh, an interesting idea sherry do you think do you think that chris rock's orchestrated comeback to the slap was also coordinated and orchestrated with will smith and jada pinkett smith do you think their careful calculated orchestrated response will there'll be some there was some collaboration between the two parties to maximize polit- or, uh, pop- publicity gain for both sides? I don't think Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith would have agreed uh, to any of the things that Chris Rock said I don't know. about it, them. It makes, I don't them, think it they, makes them the victim. 
well, I mean, so there's puts the that. On it, puts the narrative on its head, right? Will Smith's not the bad guy anymore. She's not even the bad guy anymore. Now Chris Rock's the bad guy. Good point. I hadn't thought of that, but that is that is one way to look at it for sure. They're probably are, uh, sitting at a table over a $1,900 dinner laughing their heads off at us as every TV channel in America and every radio station covers this story. Well... I guess they're one step ahead of us. So, <laughs> like everybody else in everybody, the world. Like right? Everybody else, too, Sherry. <laughs> right. oh. Welcome back to the John Curley and Sherry Elliker Show. Uh, and I, I hate to even f- to venture to guess that I could call Sherry Elliker my work wife. Oh. I. I, I, I you know, for me, it's Matt Butler at night, and it's just a broken relationship. I don't, I don't want to go into it. It's still too painful. Uh, but work wives are, that's a part of the American work culture. And Sherry, I know you work from home, and, uh, and that's due in part to the pandemic. And it's geographically, you know, it's, is it tough to not have the camaraderie of a work environment to do what we do? It is. And I didn't think it would be. I was really excited about the idea that I could be independent and I wouldn't have to worry about office politics or, you know, I've worked in radio stations most of my career. So it's, you know, the egos and all these other things. You can kind of avoid all that. You're just doing your own thing. You got space to, to spread out and do your research and all that stuff. But I have to tell you, it is really lonely. It is very isolating. And there's an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about the benefit of having a work spouse. And that can be a same-sex spouse. It's used the metaphor, they use the metaphor of a marriage to show that it's this person that should understand you or can understand you fully. They understand what the, you know, you're, you spend, Many, many hours, especially you, Spike, doing 17 shows a day um, in the office. So it's hard when you go home. Your wife doesn't, you know, may not uh, completely understand the the business or the grasp all the, you know, all the things that go on. But your work wife or your work work husband um, understands that, and that's a huge part of your life, and it keeps people in jobs often longer than they want to be because they don't want to break up with them. Well, you've got you've got what I like to call shared trauma with your coworkers, True. and yep. it's and I, and I don't mean that in any way, shape, or form about the Cairo newsroom. But I think we've all had moments where management doesn't get it, or the owner is a bit of a pain in the rear end, and you guys go through it together as a work crew, whether it's one person or the entire team. And that's a, like you said, that's a bond that your spouse just doesn't. It's not that they're unwilling to understand; they just don't have the shared experience. And when people don't have that because of, and folks are coming back to work now, but they're coming back in different, a different person than they were when everybody went home in March of 2020, when COVID shut everything down, closed offices, whatever environment you're in. I mean, some jobs worked through. Thank thank goodness some of them did. But a lot of us are coming back to work on a part-time basis. We're a hybrid position where we're home half the time, here half the time, or not here at all. We're still hybrid. And when you come back, it's not the same work spouse that you that you missed. No, it, there is a, a a little bit of a readjustment period, right? Where you're where you're trying to get back in sync of you know what the relationship was like. When I worked um, for the prison system, um, I had uh, someone that worked in my department that worked for me, but she 
became, I mean, I was as close to her as I was to any friend, anything. We didn't socialize outside of the office, but in the office, I mean, she saved my life, and I think I did for her many times when I didn't know what I was going to do or, you know, she would be, she had three kids and there was always, you know, a little bit of drama here and there. And I was always willing to, you know, take the time to listen to whatever it was she was going through or, you know, talk to her. And that relationship was incredibly valuable to me. And I do miss that. I've always had sort of like a work BFF wherever I work, you know, someone that you can, you can rely on and that you can, you can hang out with and roll your eyes with. And, um, it is when you don't have that, it's, it's a little, it's when everybody's remote, it's hard to make a, a, a very, um, intimate, if you will, connection with somebody. Yeah. It's a meaningful, if nothing else, connection. Yes, Absolutely. There you go. We're lucky though in what we do, because imagine if we had the kind of job and I, I can't, I tried for a while where you're in a cubicle or an office by yourself and you're making phone calls or you're filing reports or you're filling out, you know, uh, schedules for commercial logs for, I was selling television advertising for about a year and, and there wasn't the interaction. I mean, you still saw people in the hallways and that was wonderful and you got to go to lunch with folks and that was great. And, and, and you worked on projects together, all the camaraderie and the team building things and the person who's just a little bit off, a little bit, a little bit weird. You know, it's nice to have them too, comic relief or whatnot. But what we do here, we we get to do our job in the pres- in the in the format of camaraderie. So oh, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Of course. I mean that that's 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 the know, nature when, of what we're doing. It is, and it you you have to rely on each other, and you have to be um, have your game face on all the time. You know, you can't uh, have really a a bad day. I mean, you can't hide in your cubicle and just oh, phone it in or, or, or do what this young woman thinks we should do is called bare minimum Mondays. You've heard about quiet quitting. You've heard about, uh, now there's something called be done at 2 PM Fridays, what? but she, yes, but she has created something. It's a TikTok sensation, 2 million views on TikTok, and she calls it a burnout prevention strategy. I think we have her assessment of this. Here's how you can do bare minimum Monday if you have a more traditional job. I totally get this. I used to have the same boss. The very first thing you want to do is remove any wishful thinking tasks from your list. Tuesday, you can overachieve. Once you've condensed your to-do list as much as possible, the rest of your bare minimum Monday actually happens in your brain. The reason I began this in the first place is because I was putting so much pressure on myself that it was hard for me to do anything. One thing I know would have helped me when I was in corporate is to think to myself, Where might I be putting unnecessary pressure on myself? Like, what are you overly stressed about that you just don't need to be stressed about? What can you choose to not care about today, knowing that it actually won't make a difference? Where can you choose to be a little bit nicer to yourself today? Where can you cut yourself some slack? That is where most of the bare minimum Monday work comes in. It's not actually about your schedule. Jacob, did you edit it down so she didn't take a breath, or is that how she speaks? That's a pretty common TikTok thing. Holy cow. (laughs) That hurt to listen to. Okay, are you buying this, Spike? Sure. This young woman. Yeah, mail it in Mondays. I don't care about yeah. my job. Sure. Never get, pro- I mean, never get promoted Tuesdays. Zero I, chance of advancement Wednesdays. Yeah, I'm buying in the whole nine yards. What is it about the, the Gen Zers? What do they have against work? I mean, they are trying to mm. wiggle out, skirt around, do anything to not work. 
Um, and, you know, and they feel as though when they have expectations of themselves, I shouldn't say all of them, this young lady, she said she was a perfectionist. She put too much, you know, demand, too many yeah. demands on herself. Yeah. Okay. What's that's called actually being ambitious. That's called <laughs> going the extra mile. Yeah. That's called wanting to further your career. Climbing but she's the ladder. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, give yourself a break on Monday. Don't do anything extra. I was feeling so much pressure of what? Having a job? <laughs> So I, no, I, I, I'm with you. It, I, like I said, right out of the gate, you know, mail it in Mondays, never advance Tuesdays, forget about a promotion Wednesdays. It seems like it's a, it's a, it's a recipe for being stuck in a job that you're never going to outgrow. I mean, advancement comes through your learning new skills, pr- mastering your, your, your skill sets and moving on to something, a bigger challenge. If you're mailing it in, if you're doing minimal Mondays, you're never going to outgrow the job you're in. What are you saving yeah. yourself for? Twenty five years of this job? I don't. I don't think that's what. I, I think they don't care. I think that what they're trying to do is they say, you know, this is the thing about uh, uh, Gen Z is that they believe that we've got it wrong. That the work life mm. balance is so off in this country that they're going to reinvent that, and they're actually doing it effectively. They really are, and they're saying, look, you know, we put too much emphasis on working, 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 working. That's not what this should be about. That's why they don't necessarily want the responsibility of owning a home or children or things like that, because they want to be able to explore and experience life. I don't know if I'm just bitter or jealous. I mean, I don't know if it's <laughs> that like well, in my heart, I think, hey, you know, they're kind of right here, yeah, uh, but yeah. it's. It, it, you know, it's it's the antithesis of what I did. So I'm, of course, I'm going to get defensive about it and be like, no, no, you can't do that. You've got to work seven days a week. I mean, and so, but they're, I, I got to give them credit. They, they have a point. It seems a little selfish, mm-hmm. you know. It's but, but like you just said too, how many people regret, you know, giving it their all for their boss for thirty some forty years? At the end of which, you get nothing more than you actually had to fight for. I mean, th- these guys are putting, I guess, quality of life ahead of mm-hmm. career advancement. And, and maybe they do have it right. Maybe we have had it backwards. But but in a world where housing has never been more expensive and the cost of living goes up on a daily basis, I think you got to, if you don't fight your way to the top, you're going to be squashed in the middle. <laughs> I don't know. I, but what do I know? I'm just here for the 19th straight hour. I don't know nothing about work. I don't know. <laughs> And, you know, Don't may, look at me. May, I'm definitely, it's not minimum Mondays. It's maximum Mondays for me, folks. Yes, and I apologize to the whole city of Seattle. I was expecting John Curley to be here. He's feeling under the weather. I promise he'll be back as soon as he's physically able. Welcome back to the John Curley Sherry Elliker Show. I'm Spike O'Neill sitting in for John Curley today. And Sherry, if you would uh, take the lead on this next story, I'll be able to protect what little dignity I have. Okay, so uh, if you're planning on taking some, let's say, racy photos, uh, don't do it in Singapore. So Singapore is a little bit of a contradiction because they have prostitution. It's um, in certain districts. It's regulated. Um, but they they have very strict restrictions on nudity and things in in photos. So a couple went there. They're from Vietnam. They shot a video um, and it involved uh, a, it was a husband and wife and the wife went outside and nobody was watching. Nobody was, you know, it, it, uh, there was no audience, live audience, but she slowly sort of undressed or disrobed in front of the camera. They uploaded this video to um, a private 
chat site or like a group, um, you know, okay, chat well, yeah, thing. private group. Yep, and um, for that was devoted to things like sex and partner swapping and things like oh. that. Well, it ended up becoming very popular and it went, found its way to the internet. And then the authorities in Singapore saw it, it recognized the people, or recognized the video, recognized the people, and they fined them $17,000. And, and, and they're not the ones who shared it on social media, right? It was somebody in their private group? Oh yeah, they they had wow. no interest in in having this become public, but they've got some very very strict laws. For instance, in 2009, Singapore also fined a man $1900 for being naked in his own apartment. And they felt that he was in clear view, other neighbors could see him, and so it was I, I guess a form of public nudity a little bit. Wow. So they find him too. So yeah, it's, it's something that they're trying to, to fight a little bit. Um, uh, some of the people, the sex workers and other people are saying, this is ridiculous. You know, we live in a modern society. We should be able to do this. Two consenting adults should be able to do what they want and share what they want. When this couple from Vietnam went to court, um, the, the, the judge basically said it was irrelevant. It was irrelevant what the platform was. Um, that even if it were, even if we're consenting parties, it doesn't matter. Um, that you just, you know, you, you can't do that there. The greater and this good. Cup, yeah. And this comp, this couple, uh, couldn't afford the $17,000. They went back to Vietnam. They sold everything. And now the wife is pregnant and they're, he's trying to get a job. I mean, it's a little bit of a, of a sad story. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I had no idea. I didn't think that Singapore would be, um, prudish. So prudish. Yeah. yeah. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, you know, I, I don't know enough about the far East. Is that, how do I, I'm trying to find the right way to, I can't even, I don't even know what to call the place without offending someone, let alone what I could put on the internet there. You know I mean? It's not the Orient anymore. That's long gone, right? I can't say that anymore. So I don't know about content. And if these guys, it just seems odd to me that they didn't share it publicly. It was shared without their permission publicly. But I guess the greater good, the keeping the Singaporeans safe from such exposure to the photos of ill repute was more important than this couple's, you know, lack of responsibility for getting out of the Internet. Well, it says here that Singapore has long imposed numerous restrictions on behavior and expression in pursuit of conservative views of morality, as well as an enviable public safety record. So they might feel that those two things are connected, that the morality of a country leads to or the higher, if, if you know, depending on how you feel about it, that this equates to higher morals. You know, if you don't participate in these things, and therefore it will be a safer, safer country for everyone. Well, we're kind of the exact example of the opposite, so maybe they got a point there. Yeah, uh, just uh, although the don't guy, try the, the guy who gets fined nineteen hundred bucks because people can see in his window, how's he ever going to afford drapes? <laughs> right, right. That seems to be like self defeating the whole purpose. Anyway, I if I go to if I go to Singapore, I promise you, I'm leaving my phone in the in my hotel room. I'm not taking pictures of... Well, that's... No, <laughs> no, because I guess I can get in trouble in your hotel room, too, apparently. Uh, yes. Sherry, thank you for covering that. I'm st- uh-huh. Obviously, I'm uncomfortable with the whole image and idea of public nudity. 
And if you ever saw me, you'd understand why. Well, no, I, I would be a little bit more worried about you if you were completely comfortable with the idea of public nudity. <laughs> Thank so you. I think you're in the right the right ballpark there. Well, it's only because of the station in my life. There was a time when our show broadcast live from a nudist colony every summer. I swear it was called Nude Stock. We had 2,000 naked listeners with us. It's, the pictures are still on the internet to this day. 